Hey guys, how's it going? This week I interviewed Mickey Lang. He is a Reno-born kid. He grew up playing in Reno and then Apple Corps and then he went to Manhattanville. Did the jump from D3 to the East Coast League, played in the East Coast League for a little while, built up a name for himself and moved up to the American League. In the American League, he had an unfortunate accident where he got cut by a skate and it ended up ending his career. After that, he had to alter his path and he became the coach of a new-ish program in Tahoe. He started coaching the Iceman, which is part of the Western State Hockey League. And then after that team folded... He went on to help scout um, an Apple Corps and then dabbled in the idea of going back to playing pro. And now he's just in Reno giving some lessons and trying to figure out the next pathway for himself. There is a rink opening in Reno, so I think he's going to do his best to try and get involved with that. But he's kind of in the crosshairs right now of where he's going to go next, which... Trust me, I feel that so much right now. Absolutely the reason why this podcast is being released a day late. I was supposed to interview Sean Dixon of the Utica hockey team on Sunday. And I was also supposed to make some big life decisions on Sunday. So when it came time for the interview, I was just full of anxiety, trying to figure out what I was going to do for these personal decisions that I had to make, um, which makes me, since Sunday was a really hard day for me, I want to give two shout-outs, one to my boyfriend, who I know in those moments is not easiest to sit by someone while they're just, like, so stressed out and, like, kind of freaking out, and it's not easy to deal with that, but he did it with so much grace, and there's so many reasons why I appreciate him, so big shout out to him helping me with that. Ladies, find yourself a man like that. Men, find yourself a lady like that. It's just so nice. My second shout out is checking in with everyone else. COVID is a bizarre time. Going back to school is a little up in the air and, like, all of this stuff. So, if you guys are feeling it, let me know. I will be there to talk to you if you want. I'm not the best with giving advice, but I will listen. Always here for anyone that needs it. Yeah. So, here we go straight into the interview with Mickey. I hope that you guys enjoy it. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. Does Tyler come down? Doesn't he do stuff in the Bay Area, like, on weekdays? Um, well, when everything kind of got shut down, he was trying to get unemployment and then couldn't get unemployment because he's a student. He doesn't work. So my dad gave him a job in Fremont. So he, like, worked and lived with me for a month, which was fun. He did? <laughs> yeah. It was a construction. What? <laughs> was he doing construction? Yeah, it was a construction order <laughs> for a month. Did your dad fire his ass? No, he he got lucky that my dad really really likes him. Tyler, I know. So is he he's not doing it anymore though. No, he only lasted a month, and then the rink in Tahoe opened, and he was like, "Okay, I'm moving home." I know what's going on with the rink in Tahoe. I emailed Van, and I was like, "Cause I got all these kids that I trained down in in Reno." Yeah, and then Paul Fritz and Jensen are coming out tomorrow to train here, and then hopefully skate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have no idea. I know that they put in a rule that there has to be a coach on the ice with you. And, like, they book – the ice times are, like, all booked way ahead of time. So Chris Collins books something, and, like, anytime Tyler wants to skate, Chris has to be there. Oh, serious? Yeah. Ah, uh, I wonder how much Chris is paying for the ice. That I don't know, but there's a bunch of, like – big names up there, like Rob Zettler, the coach for Yale, like someone else. Like, there's a bunch of people that I think just came into town. The, I remember Rob Zettler. He did, like, cancer when I was a kid. Yeah, I think he was a little kid, and he's, like, maybe 13 or something, and they're coaching who's, him. Who's a Yale coach? 
I want to say his name is Dan something, but I I don't really know. I haven't been to the rink in forever. Oh really? Yeah. I wonder if I can get ice with him. Good. Maybe luck. I'll email. I need to get I need to get ice because I want to ski with all these kids, and then all these guys are going up to ski. When does the rink in Reno open? November. Oh damn. Everybody out here is so stupid. Like, not stupid. They just don't know what the... Yeah. Like, do you know what some guy... Do you know what the guy on the board said? What? So, I went up to watch the... Uh, remember when, like, Washington and all those teams come out for, like, the Pac-8 tournament? Yeah. So, the guy in charge of Reno Ice was like, Hey, so, like... Yeah. The guy goes, Hey, how would, like, a BU do against these guys? And I looked at him, and I go, You're fucking kidding me, right? I go, how would the New York Yankees do against a South Lake Tahoe High School baseball team? I go, what do you mean, how would they do? It'd be 50 and nothing. Every kid would be in an ambulance on the way out of the rink if they had to touch the puck. Like, is that a, are you being serious with that question? Washington slapdicks would, could play like BU. What the heck? And he's, he's running the rink down here. It's like, playing in the NHL in two years. What do you mean, how the hell would they do? I saw that there's an opening for the commissioner of the USPHL. You could apply for that. The commissioner? Yeah, I'm pretty sure you make bank. <laughs> Fuck, that would be awesome. Jesus. No, nah, that, that'd be so sweet, though. If it, I don't know. It's probably a tough job. Probably a lot of work you gotta do. I'm pretty sure you could do it from Reno. Could I? Yeah, it says work remotely. No way. Mm-hmm. But you gotta handle like all the all the. It's gotta scheduling. be so much paperwork and scheduling, oh. and so many people yelling at you all the time. Yeah, exactly. That's not what I want to do. No. What about the WCHL? That league folded. I don't know. I think it might be. Actually, no, no. I think it officially did. Right? Someone bought it. Like the USPHL actually bought it. They bought all the te- all the teams just transferred. I guess. Yeah. Does Vanna still have a, the Tahoe Ice? <laughs> the Iceman? Is that what you're going to ask? The, yeah, I love the Iceman. It's so fun. So how's this thing work, Kelsey? Are you doing good on your podcast? I am. It's actually, like, picking up speed faster than I thought it would. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> That's so sweet. I know. I'm, like, pumped on it, and I just put out a thing, like, yo, if anyone needs to intern, like, for college, because you know how, like, the colleges, the colleges make you intern, I was like, yo, if anyone wants me to, like, fill out their paperwork and help me with this, and I got three people to join me. Are you serious? So mm-hmm. there's interns for free? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. I know. I'm pumped on it. So, Kelsey, do you make these three interns just do, like, all the shit you don't want to do? I just started it today. So, like, I put the thing out last week. I got a couple people to respond, and then today I was like, hey, just, like, I don't know. I just sent out, like, an informative email on, like, this and that. So, we haven't done too too much yet. That's pretty cool. That's so awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about it. Yeah, hopefully it keeps growing. All right. Uh, who, who did you do Chris Collins already? Yeah, did you listen to his? Yeah, like briefly. It's really, really good. Collins? Yeah. I only listened like the first ten minutes. Oh. I was like listening to it. And I was like, I'm gonna listen to it, so I have an idea of what you do. Yeah. And then I like I was falling asleep trying to look like I usually like listen to, like a podcast. I usually just like spit and chick to like a podcast where I fall asleep. Really? And I, yeah, and I was listening to yours and I fell asleep and I just didn't get to finish it enough time. You know, his is really good if you listen to the whole thing. How how long is his? I actually think his is the longest or the second longest so far. It might be like an hour and 30 minutes or something. Holy smokes. He can talk. So, <laughs> I just wish he could play hockey. <laughs> shots fired. Yeah, shots fired for sure. No, I like Chris. He's an awesome guy. Mm-hmm. He's a really nice guy. How is the Tahoe Prep team doing? Are we ready to start this? Let's go. <laughs> Are you going to ask all the, like, do you, do you keep it going, Kels? Yeah. Can you, like, swear on this or no? Yeah, swear on it. I've been swearing. I've been saying whatever. 
Yeah, I talked about the <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, if you want, I'll leave that in there. <laughs> no, no, don't. don't, don't. <laughs> Any of your future players, the parents are going to be like, uh... <laughs> uh yeah, no. He's not, he's not playing for the Reno Iceman. <laughs> <laughs> the Reno Iceman. <laughs> uh, that'd be so funny if you... Okay, yeah. You can edit it, though, right? Yeah, I can edit it. <laughs> your, in, your interns. <laughs> hey, ask your, ask your interns if any of them want to be USPHL commissioners of the uh, commissioner of the USPHL. And I'll just apply for the job. I'm like, okay, you guys have all this work to do. Let me know what's done. I would do it. If I thought that they would hire me, I would apply for that job. Be a sweet ass job. I just don't think they would hire me because I don't have like any like background like that. But it'd be kind of sick. Oh, it'd be unreal. You probably get paid a lot, too. It's probably six figures at least. Exactly. Yes, yeah, sweet job. Just be so much, it'd be so much work. Yeah. Alright, let's do this. How does this start? Well, I've just been recording this whole time, but I'll probably edit it all out. Yes, <laughs> Kelsey, are you serious? <laughs> you have to edit this out. No, I'm just gonna leave the part in where you talk a ton of shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, take take that out. Okay, well. <laughs> All right, let's. Mickey, where have you been? It's been a while since I've seen uh, you. I Tyler Dill came at the facility. I know. He really likes it. He said what you're doing I down there is really cool. I just wish those guys were closer. It'd be so much easier. It's so hard when they're coming from Tahoe. It's, you know, if it was like if I was closer to those guys, then they could train all the time, but. Yeah, well, who are you working with down in Reno? Are there a lot of kids that play down there? Yeah, there's quite a few, like all the Reno kids, and then I got a lot of like six year olds starting. Okay. It's cool because like I'm trying to get them all like it's, you can't do anything on ice, but at least when they get on the ice, they have like the stick handling and shooting going. That's true. That's nice. All right, Mickey, give us a synopsis of your hockey career. <laughs> what does synopsis mean? <laughs> <laughs> like a summary like tell us like kind of where you played what you did where I played yeah oh, are we starting yes Mickey <laughs> <laughs> oh I grew up playing I grew up playing in Reno until I was 18 years old really and yeah and then I went out when I was 18 my mom and dad are from New Jersey so when I was 18 I went out there I lived with my grandma for two years, I played for the New York Apple Corps Junior A team, and then I did that for three years. My final year, I actually lived with Charlie McAvoy's family. Charlie's on the Bruins now, one of their top defensemen in the NHL, but I lived with his family. And then after I played juniors, I went to Manhattanville College, mm-hmm. Division three, and then spent, after that, played four years there, graduated my degree, and then I played professional for four years. Nice. I was looking at Elite Prospects, and they have you listed as, like, the first person from Reno to ever play pro. I believe it. Yeah. And they had the only other person listed to play D1 was uh, a guy named Michael McNichols. Have you ever heard of that person? No. Is he from Reno? He's from Reno, yeah. And he's playing D1 right now. No way. Yeah. I've never heard. I wonder if he was born here and then grew up somewhere else because most of the hockey, the hockey you know, community down here is pretty close-knit, so that's interesting. I'll have to look him up. Yeah, you should. But there was, a, there was actually a lot of great players growing up when I was young, but unfortunately the rink here uh, closed. But there were so many good players that probably when I was like a peewee, there was a lot of good kids that played. And then once the rink shut down, it just made it so hard for kids to commute to like Northern California to continue to pursue hockey. Fortunately, my, I, you know, I bless my parents. They were willing to take me to Northern California, so I got to continue pursuing my dream. Did they move or did they drive back and forth? They drove. We drove back and forth. So I played two years in Roseville, which is about an hour and forty-five minutes from Reno. Mm-hmm. And my mom and dad both drove back and forth on Tuesday and Thursdays. So, and when there was another kid, Troy Abrahamson, who did that as well, and he also. So our parents kind of rotated, but. We were lucky because not every parent was willing to do that. And 
I was certainly fortunate. Yeah, it is a big sacrifice to make. And it's kind of crazy how many of the parents in Tahoe and Reno now still do that. I know it's crazy. It's also kind of, it's, it's disappointing to some extent because you think having a rink in an area for 10 years, you would have built the program and, you know, kids would eventually be able to stay locally and play for, you know, the local program, but it just hasn't worked out that way. You know, hopefully Reno, if they do it the right way, which, you know, is, is, is questionable right now, but if they do it the right way, then 10 years from now, you'll have every kid in this area that they won't need to go out east. They won't need to go to Northern California. They can play right in their backyard. Well, what advice would you give them to make that happen? Number one, hire me. That would be my number one. <laughs> I'll solve all your problems. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I'll solve them. I'll just prevent them. I think that was the number one thing I would do. But No, I, I, I say that jokingly, but I really mean it. I think if they want to do it right. And I think there's other great hockey minds in Reno, too. You look at a guy like Ryan Schmier who has three young kids, who is, you know, he lives in Sparks. He's got three young kids. I mean, he's got so much hockey knowledge just through the roof. And, you know, he played years and years and games and games in the American Hockey League. And then you got Ken Venus, who's also a Reno, Reno guy now. And you got a lot of good hockey minds, so I would try to get as many of those guys involved as you can. And then, uh, you know, grab as many young players. And then 10 years from now, all those kids will be, you know, just trickling through your program and you can build something great. But yeah, number one thing would be to hire me. <laughs> is Schmier from Reno or did he just move that later on um if I got no he's actually from Alberta originally oh, okay so Ryan grew up in Alberta and then I met Ryan playing men's league and and we hit it off and I found out he was living down in Reno he's actually his wife went to the same high school as me and my brother hmm. um I think she was my brother's age so we had the connection there and then obviously um, there's not too many other guys that played professional hockey in Reno, so he he became an automatic friend. And then, fortunately for me, when I was coaching the Iceman up in Tahoe, you know, I wish he would live closer and have young kids. But I was so lucky to have him involved and and you know be able to bounce ideas off him and listen to what he had to say. And it was also beneficial for the players we had because Ryan has so much knowledge and it, it's such a you know they're so lucky if he can have you know if you can have a guy like him involved coaching your kids. Was it tough breaking into professional hockey from a D3 program? Oh my God, Kelsey, it was, it was, it was so tough. It was tough everywhere I went, cause everywhere I went, I almost started at the bottom. When I first went out to the Apple Corps program, they put me on the B team and, you know, I, I was so pissed off at first. I was, but uh, you know, that's how it was. You didn't complain. You didn't say it was coaching and say, you know, I, I didn't get this or I didn't get that. You just worked hard. So I worked as hard as I could. And then my second year, I had a good second year of juniors, and I had some Division One teams interested in me. But unfortunately, it didn't work out. But it was also a blessing in disguise because I got to go play at uh, Manhattan College, where I played for an unbelievable coach four years, Keith Levenball. And then after that, I actually I emailed every single ECHL team in the nation. I think there was like 26 at the time, and none of them responded. But I saw there was an open tryout. Uh, it was like in June for the Reading Royals at ECHL. So I went to the summer trial, and Kelsey, I, I kid you not, I walked into the locker room, and it looked like it looked like a bowling alley on a Thursday night. Like the guys there were like, <laughs> I mean, there were guys there that I don't think did a push up or sit up in maybe fifteen years that were trying out for this team, and there were some guys. So I mean, I was, you know, I thought if if I can't make this team with these guys here, then I'm probably just gonna put my my gear on eBay and just call it a day after I leave this. But I ended up making their 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 training camp, but when I went to the, the actual training camp of the ECHL, I got cut after, like, the second day, and I was so pissed off that I worked as hard as I possibly could, and then four years later, I was ECHL MVP, so that's how how much work I put in. I think it was basically seven days a week for four years. I sacrificed everything I could to get better at ice hockey, and I had great mentors, too, so it, it, was, it was certainly not easy coming from Reno to play college and junior hockey, and then... Uh, coming out of Division Three to play in the ECHL and the AHL, it was uh, it was a big time commitment and sacrifice. What do you think the bigger jump was for you, playing in the East Coast League or in the Americas League? AHL, for sure, just because it was yeah. When I played Division Three, you know, you, a lot of people don't realize how good the hockey players are. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, there's so many good places. There's 
It's not like baseball or football where the NCAA Division One baseball and football programs, there's hundreds of teams to play for. You know, in, in Division One college hockey, there's maybe 70 or 80. And then there's no Division Two. It's It goes straight to Division Three, and there's, you know, another 70, 80 maybe. So when you get there, you're playing with a lot of good players. So, you know, I had that experience for four years playing college hockey and then going to the ECHL. It was a big jump, but it was a jump that, you know, I was prepared for based off the coach I had and the players I played with. But going to the American Hockey League, there's just guys that are, you know, one step away from being in the, the best league in the world. So, I mean, it was – I remember going to the Toronto Marlies camp after I signed the AHL contract, and I showed up there, and there was like 60 players there that, you know, one was better after the next. So it was it was a huge jump. I'm just thinking of, like, all the younger players listening to this. Do you think – well, I don't know how to phrase this where it comes out the right way. But in, like, the American League and, like, these pro leagues, are these guys going out and partying, like, insanely hard and smoking every night? <laughs> you know? Or are they taking it more seriously? Or do you think that doesn't really affect your game? Like, if you can, like, hold your shit together, it doesn't matter. No, they're really not. I mean, like, every level you go to, you know, it's like the approach and the mindset of the athlete is just so much better, you know. And But there's certainly, you know, you have on every team there's three or four guys that, you know, if, if the day ends in Y, they're probably going to the bar that night. Yeah. But, you know, for the most part, every guy has to be so committed just because you're not guaranteed anything, you know. And you take you take your, your foot off the pedal for one day. You know, you can lose your spot. But there, there are guys on each team that they're not missing a bar night. And, it's, and those guys are, those guys can answer the bell. You know, they can come the next day and, you know, nobody would know that they were, you know, they crushed 36 quarters lights the night before. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there's guys like that. But for the most part, everybody's just so committed during the season to, to be the best. You know, player they can be and also contribute to their team the most. The summer, summertime's a different story, though. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta let loose in the summer. Yeah, it's a good break to have, and I'm sure guys are making up for the six months during the hockey season. You know, making up for the lost bar time. How did your first pro game go? Uh, not good. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it didn't go good. I had a great coach, Dave Bell, who coached in the in the. Uh, OHL major junior up in Canada. Now he's coaching in the AHL, but he he loved me since day one. He gave me an opportunity to play. And the first game, I didn't stop and start, or, or I was terrible in the D zone. So I came in the net. I, I was so bad. I was like, "Oh my god, this guy's releasing me the next day." <laughs> so I come into the office the next day, and Dave Bell had a guy sitting in his office, and he goes, "Hey, this is your new coach. You're going out to play in the SPHL, which is single A hockey." And I was like, shit, I lasted here a week. I'm going to get cut. And then we talked for a minute. He's like, yeah, you're, you know, you're going to go down with him. You're going to drive down here with him. It's in, I forget, I think he said Florida. So for 15 minutes, I was like, man, I just blew my opportunity. And then after a while, he's like, just kidding. This is my dad. And then I, you know, I, his dad was in town. So I missed his dad. <laughs> and then he's like, hey, just relax out there. Have a good game tonight and play your best. And after that, it was, you know, I loved Dave Bell because he was just so, you know, when I was panicking, like I was going to get cut, he was he was there just to ease my mind and, and, and help me get through the, the first few games. And then I got, you know, accustomed to the level of play and, and got, you know, used to how the hockey works. And, and you know, I ended up fitting into that team nicely. <laughs> yeah, it was a funny because I was like, shit, I lasted here like a week. Oh, my God, yeah, I would oh, freaking <laughs> I mean, out. Who the hell is, yeah, who the hell is this old guy I got to drive down to Florida with? <laughs> but it ended up being Coach Bell's dad, and his dad was an awesome guy. And, and Coach Bell is somebody that gave my first professional start, so I always love Coach Bell for, for the opportunity he gave me. Um, just to rewind it for a minute, because it just reminded me when you were talking about how you went to this open trout and it was just, like, all, like, fat guys and everything. Remember when you were coaching for the Iceman and that, like, random dude DM'd you on, like, the Instagram page for the Iceman and he was like, hey, I've never played hockey before, but I think I could play on your team. Like, let me go <laughs> Yeah, I think he, I don't, I don't know if he knew there was an age limit, because wasn't he, like, 36? Yeah. Like, he's like, like I'm just a real. Good. He's all, I'm just a real good athlete. I think I could do it. <laughs> yeah. I I remember that. I was like, I was like, is this guy kidding me? And then I was like, 
was like, okay, how old are you? Like, when'd you play last season? And he played on like the Gladiators in his men's league team, and he was he was 36 years old, so he missed a cutoff date by like I don't know, 16 or 17 years. So he was a little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if he knew how the junior the junior uh, league worked, but that was funny. I got a lot of emails like that, where it's like, hey, maybe this guy's a, a four star player or, or a stud, and then I and then I go see him play men's league, and he's either one 10 years too old or you know, he just got off the roller rink and he's a fireman on the side and he's not, you know, suited to play junior hockey right now. Do you want to talk about your injury at all and, like, how that happened and affected your career? Yeah, it was a, it was, it was such a weird injury and it was, it was the last professional game I ever played. It was in December of 2014. So I signed with the Toronto Marlies that year and I ended up, after training camp, I got sent down to Orlando to play for the Solar Bears and, and I, I was disappointed, but I was so excited because I loved the teammates I had down there. And the coach down there was Vinny Williams. He was he was one of the best. He was just a player's coach. We had an older team down there. But halfway through the season, um, a skate came up and cut my right forearm, and it was it was such a freak accident. It's so weird that I remember it was on the blue line next to our bench. And I just remember our trainer jumping over the boards and just putting a towel on my forearm, and I saw it, and I almost like. It was the first time in my life I was ever scared on the ice. It was it was the first time I felt like nervous and scared on the ice. So um, I knew it was serious, and then I got back into the training room and and they put some stitches in it, cleaned it out, and then the next day I had surgery, and that was the last game I played. I, my hand didn't recover for a full year, and I ended up losing eighteen percent use of my right hand. But it turned out to be a you know a blessing in disguise because it led me into coaching, and that's something I'm probably most passionate about. Do you think you would still be playing if that injury never happened? I think so. I think I would have tried, probably played till you know, right about this time, 33, 34. I, was, I just came off the best year of my life, and I signed an AHL contract, and my dream was always to play in the NHL. So I was I was moving up each year, and I was getting closer and closer to that dream, and this kind of derailed it and, and put me on another path. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know what would happen, but I probably would still be playing. Now I'm just pl- coaching, but put suiting up and playing against the junior players as much as I can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and men's league, we don't have to back check, so it's not bad. I told the story on here about how you guys did your men's league draft and no one picked me until like the eighth round. And then you tried to sit me at one of the men's league games so you could go out. Oh. <laughs> I know, I, you were, I should have picked you earlier, but I was waiting for your your boyfriend to pick you, and he was loading his team up with all of his buddies from college, and I was like, well, <laughs> smokes the, the heck, I'll take Kelsey, and then I think again, I think I was trying to sit everybody at one point during our game, because I was so, we were losing, I think, Tyler's team, right? Yeah, we so were. <laughs> it got so competitive, I forgot to turn the off switch off, and, and remember that we're playing mentally, it's supposed to be fun. <laughs> Uh, it's one of those games where you leave feel like an idiot. Like I was benching people on my mentally team. Jeez, I'm a loser. <laughs> no, it's so funny. I think it just shows how competitive you are. Even at men's league, you're like we're not fucking losing. <laughs> yeah. I probably should have sat myself. I was probably the one causing the most goals out of that. <laughs> Yeah, those men that men's league up in Tahoe was one of the funnest men's leagues I've ever played in. All. It is in the it's, summer times. It really yeah. is. There's nothing better than going to Tyler and playing men's league, and then you got the lake after, or some of the bars that go hang out with all the friends that you played with and again. So I love it. And how was being a head coach? So your first coaching go- job was for the Iceman, correct? Yeah, but I spent I spent uh, 15 years out east. So any every year in the summertime when I wasn't playing, I would be training. Uh, youth hockey players, basically from ages 6 to 17. So that's kind of where I developed my skill as a player also because we didn't have much coaching out in Reno growing up as a kid. So I learned a lot, you know, not till I was later in life, till I was 18, 19, 20 years old is where I learned the most uh, as far as skill development goes. But I was coaching out there for 15 years. We had, you know, camps lined up all over the East Coast in Atlanta, North Carolina, New Jersey, Connecticut, New York, and Got to coach some amazing players, you know, each camp, and then we had our spring teams in the summertime. So that's where I learned to coach, and that's where, you know, kind of the passion for coaching came in. And then 
I happened uh, to pick up the job in Tahoe, close to my hometown. So that's kind of how that all worked out. What did you learn as a coach that you think you didn't learn as a player? Oh, my God. <laughs> I learned when every coach was ripping into me for not doing things. I was like, man, I was like, it's it's so funny because you, you're on the mayor coaching, you're part of the team, but it's such a different perspective. You know, when you learn the game so much more, and but I, I loved every minute of it because I, I – I could relate to almost every player on the team. If a kid wasn't playing, you know, I know what it was like not to play. If a kid was the best player in the league, I kind of had, you know, knew what he was going through if he was having success. So I, I felt like I could relate to every player, but I certainly valued and appreciate every single player that played up for the Iceman and played for me. And I valued, uh, you know, coaching with Rich Garcia and Ryan Schmier and having you around helping out with the team and Harper Dial and, and it was just such a great team to be on. But you learn so much more as a coach because, you know, you're not just looking through your eyes. You're, you're trying to, you know, see the game through, you know, 24 players' eyes. Mm-hmm. You know? So it was, it was awesome. How was it coaching at Apple Corps years after you played there? It was good. I went out there and, and just helped recruit for that team for a summer. And then, you know, I wanted to come back home and things didn't work out. But, you know, I had a they had a lot going on, and i know known the owner there. He's a great guy, and I knew a lot of the players out there. But I eventually wanted to come back home to Reno, especially with the, the rink being built in Reno and, mm-hmm. you know, Tahoe having a rink and hockey growing in Nevada. So I just, I you know, if I'm going to do anything with hockey, I hope that I can do it on the West Coast, and specifically in my hometown. Well, let's cross our fingers about that rink then. <laughs> That rink has been like the longest thing coming because they've been saying every year that they're going to break ground for that thing, like for the past twenty years. Since I was twelve, since I was twelve years old, they're building the rink. It's been such a nightmare, and every time you 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 see people, it's like, yeah, it's getting built. It's getting built next year, and then you know, ten years go by. Yeah, we're still you know kicking away at it, but it's finally come to fruition where they're actually they got shovels in the ground and they're you know they're putting the steel up and. And getting it underway, but it's been it's been way too long to not have an ice rink here. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, so I'm excited. So, what advice would you give any players that are still in the game right now? Youth players, I would for local youth players, I would just say work as hard as you possibly can. And also, I think that hockey's getting so out of control with kids leaving to go play at other programs and you know, exposure and all this. Because I think exposure is important, but being exposed at the right time is more important. Because now all these kids are chasing things that... I think there's too many people involved in hockey that have never been a part of hockey. They don't know how the process works. They, they've never coached under, you know, credible programs or coached with credible coaches or played and, you know, know how damn hard it is to, you know, play juniors, to play collegially, to play professionally. So I think the, the biggest thing is just try to get better each day as a youth player and then... Anybody that's playing after that, just enjoy every minute of playing hockey because eventually we all end up in that mentally at Tahoe. <laughs> so that'd be, that'd be my advice. But when you say that they have to wait for the right time to get exposure, how do you know when that is? I think I think every single hockey player ends up playing in the exact league they belong in at one point or another. So I think if you're good, I think you know, somebody will find you. Somebody will find you if you're good, and you'll end up playing in the league you belong in. Because now there's just there's so many trials, there's so many you know camps, there's so many so many different things going on where I think it's almost you know it's just it's almost like uh, you know I watch where it's not it's not so much you know giving the kid or the player what they expect. But I think if you're good, they're gonna find you. So I mean, it's it's the oldest saying in sports: if if you can play, then a team will find you. So I think just wherever you're at, just play hard. Somebody will find you, and somebody will pick you up. Where are some of your players playing now? Like, where's Jensen playing? Is he still playing? Yeah, he's playing at Eastern Washington. I think he's looking to maybe either continue playing there. I don't know what they're going to do as far as with the COVID-19 scenario, as far as they're going to do with the college sports. But he's up there with Mitch Hunt, who was another great player that Mm -hmm. came down from Seattle. And then Paul Friss is playing at a Division three school in the Northeast. Phil Heiss is playing at uh, Southern New Hampshire University. And then a few other players were playing juniors. Uh, Nick David Al. Uh, who else was there? 
Tommy Spiro, Luke Cohen's playing at Castleton College. What about John Yvonne? Who? Yvonne. Yeah, he was he was great, wasn't he? He was he went and tried out in the SPHL. Man, he was such a he was a hell of a hockey player. The unfortunate thing was, you know, when when he came when I picked him up from Ukraine and brought him to the States, he was twenty years old, so it was just tough for him. I wish I would have had, had the opportunity to coach him for two years and and help him give him an opportunity to, to learn the English language and kind of learn how to get his academics in line. And then I think he would have had a chance to play collegiately. But I'm not sure if Yvonne's still currently playing, but I know he's living in the United States and, and loving every minute of it. <laughs> but he was, he was such a good hockey player and such a great player to have on a team. Mickey, do you have a good story from when you were playing? Like what, as far as? Mm. I have a lot of stories. I don't know if they're, 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 they're raging for this show. This podcast. <laughs> uh, I don't know. There was a lot of good stories. You meet so many. It's so funny when you play on, on teams, you meet some of the smartest hockey players you'll ever meet. And then you meet some guys that, man, you're like, oh my God, if hockey doesn't work out, what the hell is this guy ever going to do? <laughs> do you- but yeah, there was. It was fun playing. You mean because I've met so many guys from you know Europe. I've met so many Canadians, and I met so many players from all different backgrounds and all different parts of the world. That it's you, you come across so many unique people, and that's such a blessing I took from hockey is all the people I've gotten to meet. Do you ever see yourself separating from the sport, or do you think that you'll always kind of be connected? And your I hope that I'm always connected, just because I've been playing hockey since I was four years old, and part of a team since I was, you know, five years old. So it's always been something that's ingrained in me. But who knows if – I think some way, somehow I'll always be kind of tied into hockey, whether it's coaching, whether it's scouting, whether it's teaching, you know, whatever it may be. I hope that I have some kind of, you know, place to be a part of hockey. And did I hear a rumor that you tried to go back and play professional this last year? Yeah, in the fall I went to Utah and – I thought I could, I thought I could still play. I was driving back and I knew the coach from Utah. He's he a great coach. And I went back and, and after my first shift, I was thrown up all over the bench. So I said, Oh my God, maybe I'm not in shape for this. <laughs> Cause I don't think I ever threw up in my whole entire life. And then you forget how good the hockey is, but I would love to, you know, if there was a team locally that ever needed an emergency player, then, you know, I would love to, you know, just have a couple more shifts and have it end not the way it did. Yeah. You know, with an injury. Kind of go out in a different manner. And then you're doing private lessons and everything now? I think we touched on it a little bit, that you said you were coaching a lot of young kids. Yeah, so I'm trying to get as many young kids from, you know, involved in hockey as I possibly can um, with no ice, which is which is not easy because that's kind of what makes the game so fun. But it's also what makes the game so difficult. So I think that if we can teach kids kind of how to, you know, stick handle and shoot and use this hockey stick and transfer weight, and then kind of when we do get the ice, then it'll be easy transition to just focus on skating, which is probably the most important part of the game. And and hopefully that, you know, kids 10 and under fall in love with the game. And, and then we have, you know, a good pool of kids that play in Reno and Tahoe and Carson City. And, you know, every suburb of Reno would be great. Mickey, is there anything else I should ask you? What do you think would be good for the podcast? <laughs> no, I think, I think you're doing a great job. It's been great so far. We have some funny stories from, from the Tahoe Iceman. I was thinking that. I almost wanted to bring up. When... I'm in trouble for some of them, so be careful. <laughs> well, that's, that's why I didn't bring it up, but I was like, oh, my God. What about when Nick Davidow, you, like, bet him to go do push-ups? And he did it. Oh my god, that was a, if you could, I want to find that video, because I, Nick Davidow, I knew since he was a kid out east, and I knew if there was any kid that I can get to do this, it will be Nick Davidow. So what happened was, the Bellingham, and I respect the Bellingham coach, it was Mark Collins, who I respect, and I, I liked him as a coach, and they had a good program, but we were beating them pretty bad, and he thought that, I, I felt that he thought during that game we were winning because of the, the officials. And so they just started just standing behind the net. So I told the players, I was like, we got to get better during this game. We have to get better. So we either, I told Nick, I said, you can start it, Nick. You can either go skate sprints from the goal line to the blue line. This is while the game's going on, right? They're standing behind the net. Or I said, you can go stand in the high slot of their zone. And I said, start doing push-ups and tell them that you're practicing right now. 
And sure enough, I forgot Nick's got Bronx kid. He wouldn't do anything I say. So he went out there and he stopped right in the high slot in their zone while their, while their kids had the puck and he started crushing out pussy. <laughs> he has the video on his Instagram and sometimes I go and watch it. Cause I'm just like, how did this actually happen? <laughs> Should I take that part out? Should I leave that in? I don't know. <laughs> leave, leave it in and give Nick David out some Instagram followers. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny because I think that there was – John Soliday was a funny guy. He knocked a couple guys out. That, but there was just some funny guys on that tall ice. team. every guy I loved coaching, but there were some guys where – they kept you motivated and excited to come to the rink every day because you didn't know what the hell they were going to do. <laughs> a bunch of the guys that I work with now actually know Luis Mendoza. What's he oh, doing? Man. Is he still playing? I, lo- I love Mendo, but he brought a, a rat into his, his billet house, so his ass had to get kicked off for that one. Oh. Mendo, Mendo was a good guy, but... Actually, from the was- coaching perspective... How hard is it to be a junior coach and to have to tell these, like, 18 to 21-year-olds that they need to, like, live under someone else's rules and stuff when they're just there to play hockey? Like, how weird is the billet experience? That's by far the hardest part of of junior hockey is getting the billets. We had, uh, and when you do get billets, you're so lucky to have them that, you know, and and I loved every billet we had in college that, you know, they're doing us a favor because they're taking a kid in for, you know, maybe the kids probably, you know, the expenses are more than what the kid's paying monthly as far as billets go. Mm-hmm. So when they have rules, you know, obviously that they're living out of their house, and I expect the expect the players to follow those rules. But, you know, I also know that they're, they're young men, so they can't be, you know, their curfew's not going to be 8 o'clock or, you know, they're not there to just, you know, be treated like little kids or young men, so... But at the same time, I wanted them to expect, uh, respect and, you know, follow all the billet guidelines. But it was certainly, certainly difficult. And then we had a house where there was no parents or no billet family there. And that house, I got several calls on that house. And <laughs> I probably put the wrong guys in that house. That was Matt Viserys and Johnny Soliday and Luke Cohen. There might have been eight other guys living there at one point, too. <laughs> But how do you know, like, where to put these people? It's hard when, like, the families just volunteer and sometimes you're picking kids up and, like, placing them somewhere before you even know their personality that well. That's what makes it so difficult is you try to get to know the kid as quick as you possibly can. You try to build a relationship with the kid in the summertime when you're recruiting him and talking to him. And then you also, you know, you know the Bill families and a lot of those families I have so much respect for and I know their kids or kids are involved in hockey or they're, the mom and dad play hockey, whatever the case may be. So you try to find the right mix where, okay, I think this kid would be great here with this family and this kid would be great here. But then you got to factor in who has a car, who doesn't have a car, who needs to go to school. You know, there's so many factors that go into, you know, finding the proper build house, which makes that the most, you know, the toughest part of, of any junior program. But most, most cases, I think all the billets love the players and the players, players love the billets. And a lot of them have stayed in touch over the years after, you know, they've moved out and, and gone their separate ways do you think there's anything that you would go back and do differently throughout your whole hockey career not just like coaching but like all of it yeah I think if I could go back as a player I think I would have been a little more persistent as far as you know like some of the teams I think that I you know when I didn't make the team I think I was too lenient where I didn't hit them with questions like you know, like why the fuck didn't I, or why the heck didn't I make the team? Yeah. And, you know, stuff like that. You know, or what were the reasons behind? You know, I got cut, or what was the reasons why? You know, this situation. But no, I think you gotta learn as you go. So, but yeah, I don't know what I would do. Coaching, I would do a little differently. I probably you you learn after you know, when it's first year coaching, you learn so much that you, know, you try to build off every year that. You know, take what you did wrong and, and factor into the next season you coach and take what you did right and factor that into the next season you coach. So experience always helps. And how was it with the recruiting and everything? It was it was tough because when I was recruiting for the Iceman, they had no locker room. They were two and fifty the year before. You know, and the returners, you know, I 
it was it was a tough goal kill, Jamie. <laughs> but I saw some of the returners play that, and I told those kids, I said, because I wanted to eventually, and eventually we got it where we had the the ice rink was packed with fans eventually because. But when I first got there, I didn't tell anybody about the Iceman. I didn't want any of those players playing men's league, you know, because I wanted to build a good program and a good culture there, and, and have the right players and have good people. And and fortunately, over over the time, it it all panned out. But when I first took over that team, I mean, I was going to recruiting trips and I was telling kids, "Hey, I'm part of a USHL program. Give me a call. I'm interested in talking to you." And then I just tell them, "Hey, like I'm that coach the Iceman. Would you want to come play for me?" You know, so there was a lot of. Because it was so hard to compete. Like, what am I going to tell a kid? Hey, I'm a first-year head coach. You know, the team was 2-50 and 50 last year. We don't have a team bus. We don't have billets. We don't have a locker room. Yeah. So I, it was a lot of, uh, you know, and those kids put their trust in me. And once they put their trust in me, I tried to do everything I possibly could to, to help them achieve their goals. But it was certainly it was certainly not easy competing for every player. And, and I must have called a 1,000 kids and got, you know, turned down by, 972 of them, but I got the right guys in there eventually. <laughs> it's a lot of it's a lot of getting turned down. <laughs> but I think you ended up building a really good team. Like you said, you guys had like the rink pack, and the team had good chemistry, and you guys were winning games. Yeah, it was awesome. There's so many great people involved that helped make that possible, but. I think I also, you know, what I wanted to do is I knew the Tahoe kind of culture where I was like, okay, if we're going to get people in this building, we got to get a pretty tough hockey team. We got to get a team with kind of some reckless players. And then you got to get some, some loose cannons on the ice that are just going to make life hell for the other team. So, and we ended up, I didn't, in the beginning of the year, I said, let's be the least penalized team in the league. <laughs> and I said that both years and, and both years we were the most penalized team by like, by like a country mile. So. The players didn't listen to me too much, but it ended up being a great group of guys because they they were all tough. They all played hockey the right way, and it was fun hockey to watch because we were gonna we were gonna hit you hard, we were gonna play hard, uh, we were gonna play as a team, and we were gonna be good to all the people in the community afterwards. So we might have been you know a tough team on the ice, and you know we were fighting and hitting and, and scoring goals and, and playing hard hockey. But when the guys got off the ice, they were all great guys, and they all came from great families. So. It was uh, it was a fun team to be a part of, but I tried to build the team kind of how the culture was in Tahoe, and I tried to get the best defenseman in the league, which I, I ended up getting in Phil Heiss, um, who ended up being the captain there, and then I tried to get you know an Easton Easterson, uh, Jackson, you know Jackson Olson was part of the team, Yvonne Radetzky, Paul Frisk, Garrett Bain, John Salty, guys like that that you know were just uh, you know played hard. Would you do it again? Only if you yeah, could stay in Reno, huh? <laughs> if I could get the, if I could get a junior team in Reno, that's that's my ultimate goal is if one day I have a junior team in Reno or or have the college University of Nevada Reno, you know, have a college team and and build that and give the people a, a winter sport to watch. You think so, that would be an option? I mean, ASU has a team. I think it would be a huge. I think it'd be the number one hit in Reno. I really do. I do too. That's Actually, I think that's a really good idea. You should push for that. I'm gonna try everything in my power to get a club team started, and then, you know, be in the be in the club ranks uh, ranks for a little bit. Try to kick the shit out of every team in the club level, and then keep moving up until eventually we get a, a Division One team. And then, you know, maybe eventually they put in pipes in the the new brand new state of the art you know event center they have downtown, and which is right down the street from the campus. And and because I think everybody would go to it's a it's a fun sport to watch in person. College hockey, there's nothing like college hockey. Guys run around. You know, trying to murder each other. So I think it's, it would be, I think it would get fans. It would, it would make the school better. It'd bring in some Canadians, you know, some Europeans possibly. And Oh, I and think it would work it. out really well. That's a really good idea. That's the only kind of ideas I have, Kelsey. <laughs> only good ones. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But yeah, that would be, I think it would be awesome if we could get, you know, eventually down the line. Cause all we've always been missing is just a place to practice, which is now being built. <laughs> you can come be the women's coach, Kelsey. Or you want to be commissioner? <laughs> I would rather be the commissioner, to be honest. I am much better at, I don't know. All I know is I've come to the conclusion that coaching is not for me. I don't know how hard to push people. Like, every time I've coached, rather I push them too hard or I don't push them enough. 
And it's, like, the weirdest thing for me to gauge, and I'm really bad at breaking down the game. Like, when I start to break down the game, I just kind of sound condescending and rude. Yeah, that is a tough, it's such a fine line, huh? Yeah, it's, like, it's a talent I do not have. I've tried before, and it's, like, I'm just not good at coaching. Yeah, that's tough, but I think it would be great if you got involved and then, you know, you probably learn a little bit as you go and then probably get used to kind of which line you can walk. Yeah, I'm more like the operations side, like paperwork side type thing. You also get a string in the nets, only took you like a year and a half of it, like, <laughs> Hey, they paid me by the hour. <laughs> yeah, I know, you were playing frisbee catch with your dog while those nets were supposed to be getting strong. <laughs> they got done, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Two years later, some intern up there did them. <laughs> Oh my goodness. No, that was fun. <laughs> oh my gosh, Mickey talking so much shit. <laughs> Always talking shit. <laughs> we should have the mechanic, we should have the mechanic Garrett Bame up there doing them. Do you remember him, Kel? Yeah, I do. But he like disappeared, didn't he? No, he's playing, he was playing in Illinois. You oh. know, he got that, you know, he got that nickname, right? What was his nickname? The Mechanic. How did he get that? Because I brought my buddy from Alberta down to Las Vegas to help coach the Iceman. Yeah. And and Garrett Bank told him that I, I beat people up. <laughs> and my buddy said, oh, you're the mechanic of the team? You tune everybody up in the league? And he said, yeah. So we called him Mechanic that day on. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, he was the best. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mickey. I'm going to let you go. Kels, thanks for having me on your podcast. Hopefully I'll see you soon. Yeah. Tyler and I will come by. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Kels. Bye.